0: I would have experiential eating sessions with my client in the office, out of the office. I mean, since COVID, I've had to be pretty creative, like, get your snack. Let's have a snack together. And and Mm -hmm. where it's not, you know, just talking where it's like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. with someone that I feel safe with and that I'm eating and I'm being challenged. So I've had to take it up to a whole new level through Zoom. It's never too late to get help. It doesn't matter how old you are, how many years you've been engaged in your eating disorder. It starts right here, right here. deep in your heart, Start starts
1: right here, oh that's where it starts, right here, when look to your heart, it's always and only
2: starting right here. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters
1: most. It starts right here. Hi, I'm Tom Rutledge, and welcome back to, uh, what is the name of our thing? Oh, start started right here. I, w- I, was, I was trying to figure out where I was, and now I'm right here. Start right here. our podcast. might have, uh, pod- uh, you might have <laughs> COVID. One of the signs of COVID is a memory loss. So we are already, oh, God. That there's a possible symptom. Oh, I, ha- I have a new, I have a, I have a different, I had my second, this is hard to say, I had my second shingles shot yesterday. And I, and I, and I, for some reason, it's just, it just kind of just wigged me out. Just kind of knocked me for a loop a little bit. And I don't know why that is, but I, but I have been practicing saying second shingles shot. Uh, And if if there's anything wrong with me today, then I'm blaming the shingles shot.
0: I'm impressed that you're doing this the day after your shingles vaccine, especially the second one, because that one's the worst from what I've heard.
1: Oh, oh, I need you. This is so helpful because I was going, I don't think I'm supposed to be having this and then Alan, and I thought, oh God, I have, now I have now I have COVID, and then I thought, well, I don't think I do, but it, so this is I I'm not making this up. No.
0: No, you look pretty functional to me. Okay. People not.
1: Well, wait, wait until twenty minutes though. What? You got don't pass that judgment to. Yeah. You. Well, i, I I've been, I've been, hey, listen, I've been faking functional, functional for a long, for a long time, buddy. <laughs> I, I very relative term
2: right. on this show. It's that's very, very right. the bar that Tom and I set for functional is yeah. quite yeah. low. Yeah, just us getting on on the show is yeah, what we
1: consider it. a victory every. time. We're yeah. showing up, and that's it. We, that's what most of it is, is: showing up, right? Showing up for the um, and so, and I, I'm going inter- to. I'm going to introduce our wonderful guest here in a second, but before while we're checking in with our health, and how is your how are you in your COVID recovery doing? I, I am gradually feeling better. I had I went a
2: whole day on Friday and Saturday without a nap. And that's the first time I've done that in over five weeks. So, so
0: you had COVID.
2: I had COVID, yes. I had COVID yeah. a mm-hmm. five weeks ago, Saturday I had COVID. So I'm post symptomatic Mm -hmm. or post uh, infection five weeks and it's lingering, there's no question about it. Mm -hmm. Very hard for me to exercise, Mm -hmm. very um, limited energy available, still getting headaches on a daily basis. My taste has not come back fully. So that cannoli that's sitting in my refrigerator so, so that if I
1: eat, so if I eat this Christmas cookie, <laughs> you know,
2: I will be jealous because you're tasting it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad you're on the up and up. Now, I mean, I, know I am
2: too. I I'm very grateful for think. this because the one thing I'm grateful for is that I had this this catastrophic fear that if I got this thing, I'd end up in the hospital and and on a ventilator. And I'm so grateful that that hasn't happened. I've had very good medical care and and the docs are taking good
1: care of me. Mm-hmm. And so well, I, I know, I know just going a day without having, having to have a nap is a big deal. Cause I know that you, that's discouraged. If we're somebody with as much energy as you have for, for, for the, you know, you know, I, I'm not sure I ever had a day without a nap, but it's like, but you, you have energy. It's, it's like, that's a weird thing for you to have to stop and, and rest and and uh yeah and you got that you got the little bitty little those two little girls just challenging you constantly and they probably are not making adjustments just because you you know, you know have no. covid no. no they are no, they, are. they are. want what they want well let me let me let me introduce my friend um robin goldberg it's uh I've, I've, I, you know, I don't know, I couldn't give you the history of my relationship with, with Robin other than I've known of her forever. And we've been in, the, we've both been in the eating disorder um, treatment world. And I'm, I've never, I've never seen, read anything, heard anything from her that I didn't find uh, just absolutely brilliant and helpful and useful. And um, she's here to talk to us today, but I want to say she's, I've got a copy of her book. It's uh, called The Eating Disorder mm-hmm. Trap. And I was, I was, I, and I, and I, this is a compliment, Robert. It's like, it's got coffee stains on it. It's like, I want you to know, it's it's like I've, I've got, uh, it, it's kind of been, uh, road hard here, but it's, it's, um, it, this uh, is a hundred
0: names are like using a highlighter so that's that's a good <laughs> that's a good mark you yeah. <laughs> know
1: that's what i've de- done but th- this is this book is 150 pages and i i probably have there probably are some books that i have read that have as much information useful practical you know information in them as as yours but none more than yours i mean you have so much information in here and it's and it it is, it's not hard to read. I do not know how, I mean, I really admire how you as a writer, because I I always say, that's all I ever meant to be. I'm I'm an accidental therapist as a writer, how do you write to multiple populations to profession? I mean, professionals can pick this up and read it and it's fine. works fine. Somebody who's is interested in just learning something new for the first time about eating disorders could, could pick this up and learn stuff and, I mean, it really is like an encyclopedia and it has, so it has everything from like just some of the smartest stuff into it to just to, to some of the most clever, uh, illustrations, uh, who, who, who did your illustrations?
0: A wonderful young man that I found, I had put, I had put an ad and mm-hmm. I probably had about 150 people respond. Yeah. And so, um, Austin Beckley, who is amazing. You know, I've, I'm like his publicist, this, mm-hmm. this guy who, you know, his dream is to work for Disney or Nickelodeon. And he and his wife were working their way out to move to LA, but mm-hmm. since COVID, they yeah. moved to
1: Well let, we'll definitely what say his name again. We'll give him a plug. Definitely. He's Austin so good. Austin
0: Beckley. Yeah,
1: Austin mm-hmm. Beckley. I love it. I love the picture where that is that is with the chapter called, little chapter section called called Gotta Love Your Liver.
0: All <laughs> uh, so every. I'm actually gonna. I'll give him a plug. I'll find his uh, social. So he mm-hmm. he actually um, every illustration. I had a topic of what I wanted to discuss and a vision of what I wanted the illustration to look like. Because for mm-hmm. discussing such a serious matter, I wanted to mm-hmm. start out with something soft and understandable that anyone mm-hmm. could understand they don't have to be a clinician and as you commented Tommy I appreciate mm-hmm. the compliments mm-hmm. but I decided in my career I've been in practice for 24 years if I were ever to have written a book I wanted to write something a that was inclusive to all b that you don't have to be a PhD to comprehend it and finally right. to be able to have something that isn't a quote-unquote another book on eating disorders in, in the profession and I think I accomplished that it took me you over did. two decades to think of what I wanted to do but there it is but Austin's um Instagram is a the letter a, a grumpy guy and you could see all his illustrations he's awesome okay so yeah he's We're he's my room. he's my guy we'll include hey,
2: the uh show notes okay perfect yeah. Right. I think my wife would think that that's my Instagram sometimes. A grumpy guy.
1: No, she thinks yours is the grumpy guy. It's like it's, it's, a, little, it's a little different. You're, 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 you're the one. Like. I'm, the, I'm,
2: the, I'm the one. I'm the one. The one they call the well, seven Well, okay. Grumpy.
1: Well, here... I. I... <laughs> I, so, Robin, I have my list here of of, of interest, uh, uh, in, introductory stuff. I mean, uh, uh, certified certified eating disorder registered dietitian specializing in medical. Condi- this is just some of it: medical conditions, uh, disordered eating, eating disorders. I want to definitely talk about what, what health at every size. I love the work that you do with that, and with anybody who is who is. Who is the is Hayes community is
0: very big it's just, so
1: it's so, it so important after 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 being in this uh eating disorder recovery world for a while this is i was so happy to see that um but pre-pregnancy nutrition people uh alan she has a lot of ex- experience working with people in recovery from from addiction like, yeah and right. uh and you they've quoted you in the new york times and uh o- oxygen's oprah's thing right so oprah oprah's been talking about talking about you
0: no it was it was a different um no it's
1: not
2: Oprah's but
1: um okay it's its own thing oh it is okay uh Huffington Post uh uh, television you were on you were you were a regular like on the Insider I was Mm -hmm. was that fun do you like do you like being on TV
0: um you know for for the right right piece I mean I think it's really about getting my message out Mm -hmm. and that's Always, oh, what my intent has been. So anything I've done, it's been that they have found me versus, versus me pursuing them.
1: Yeah. Let's
0: well, we'll start uh, with
2: that, Robin. I, I'd love to hear what is the message that you want to get out. What do you? What is the? What's mm-hmm. the focus of your work and the theme of it?
0: So I, I've been in private practice for 24 years in Beverly Hills, and I actually just moved my office since COVID. Um, <laughs> Built, built an office out of my garage, which I've not started my Zoom sessions in yet. But in any case, you know, I started my career at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. I was the cardiac dietitian in the department of gastroenterology. I was there for five years prior to starting my practice 24 years ago. And during that time ran a number of body image and eating disorder groups at various sober livings around town. You know, I'm, I'm married to someone that's coming up on 27 years of being sober. So that, that was sort of my introduction into the recovery community. And I had thought, my, you know, my message is there are so many misconceptions centered around eating disorders, body image issues, who, who has them, who doesn't. You know, my, my message has really wanted to inform not just the layman, but clinicians, because there's a lot of stigma amongst healthcare providers from the perspective of, you know, you can't look at a person and determine if they are quote unquote healthy or not, or if they have an eating disorder. And, and I think there's so much re-education as well as the language that's incorporated into speaking with someone since, you know, we we're all born on a planet where there's Um, messages through diet culture. And it's Mm -hmm. really understanding the origin of where that comes from and also how to speak to someone in a manner that they aren't going to feel triggered and that we can't always help, of course, but oftentimes individuals have trauma centered around food and body because either they were fat shamed or they're, you know, like, with healthcare providers. And I you know, encounter this all the time is that a physician wouldn't say the same thing to someone in a larger body as they would to someone in a smaller body or vice versa. And it's really being open. It doesn't matter how seasoned you are as a clinician to be able to learn how to communicate to a person that A, they will want to continue coming back because in the healthcare field, that's oftentimes the place that an individual feels safe. but The other problem is they could feel misunderstood because practices are very busy. And for an individual, like I was sharing with a gynecologist recently that his patient has been purging during her entire pregnancy. And he said, oh, I had no idea. And I said, well, these are conversations that are not brought up. Oftentimes an individual will feel judged or they won't know how to approach their doctor because they've picked up messages that could feel offensive and and i think it takes a special provider to be open in learning how to reframe their conversations to whomever they're sitting with so that's to answer well look
2: it's a blind spot isn't it is what you're really saying is it's the same thing we've seen in the field of of alcoholism and drug addiction there was an interesting study that was done with medical doctors internists and they looked at when what were the variables that determined whether an internist would ask one of his patients about his drinking and what kind of a conclusion would be drawn? So if the patient, first of all, if the physician was drinking a lot, he would never ask the question to anybody. If he did ask the question, he would determine if the person had a problem as if the person drank more than he did.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Which was a problem at times, right? Because if if a guy's an alcoholic, guess what's going to happen? He's not going to diagnose and, and, you know, encourage anybody that's got an alcohol problem to go to treatment. Because then he'd have to look at his own issue. And so there's a very interesting dynamic around this, isn't there? In terms of our own personal issues and our blind spots or prejudices and sometimes implicit biases.
0: Well, exactly. And I was going to say, so the survey on implicit bias through Harvard, I think is something that every provider should do if they have addressed their own stuff, because if they haven't addressed biases they have, if they feel, well, I wouldn't quote, unquote, see a person in a larger body, it's offensive to call someone fat or quote unquote obese or quote unquote morbidly obese. These are stigmatizing terms. So the bias they have to do that work, it's actually something I talk about in my book that so many providers, A, haven't done their work and B, they're not open to doing the work. I think in the eating disorder community, it's more likely that they're open to doing their work if they're treating this population. But the truth of the matter is like, well, a cardiologist or internist or gastroenterologist, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I paths with so many of them. That's a huge basis of my referrals. And when I speak to them, they'll just kind of chuckle like, oh yeah, my patients no, I'm not, you know I'm not, I'm joking, but it's like, they're not joking because I have many that stop going to the doctor or they change doctors. I mean, there's so many studies based on like what you're describing with these hidden blind spots
1: we we could do i mean we could do an entire we're def, definitely going to have to ask you back cuz there's too many different things we can talk about here but but um we could do an entire show on just that it's it's like i through the years of, of working with people with their eating disorders it's it's like how much time I've spent coaching people about how to talk to their doctor, how to talk to their even if the doctor gets it, the nurse, this nurse doesn't. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just scary how it's because, uh, now, now I'm, 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 I guess I'm showing that I'm a mean guy here, Alan. But when you said blind spot, I thought idiot spot. I mean, it's sort of like now, some of these people just are clueless just and misinformed. Well,
0: but, well,
1: well, but right, but I sometimes have less tolerance because. I can also say there's a lot of people I have I have uh, had contact with and on and, you know, had clients who talked about who who actually doctors uh, who would say I specialize in eating disorder. And they were they were the ones saying, well, you don't look like you have an eating disorder. It's like, I mean, you know, that's it's it was ridiculous. It was like it's and you have, you know, the idea is you teaching people how to be good consumers and not just run away from all medical doctors, because some of them are that way. That's, right. I mean, so, it's a challenge.
2: Right. So some of this is ignorance. You know, some of this is that, you know, if, if the situation is going to create anxiety for the provider, the provider maybe will avoid it, just like they're avoiding addressing that issue in their life. As I mentioned before, very interesting in situation. I was doing some work with uh, Beacon House up in uh, Monterey, And we were talking about a case and um, it was really interesting This this young boy who was like 13 years old um, was seeing this one therapist and um, had been in probably that was number five or six on the list. Right. He was in foster homes and stuff like that. And the therapist says, well, look, I'd like to know, you know, what you've done to address some of the abuse you've had. And the boy looked at the therapist and said, I haven't addressed it. The therapist says, really? But you've seen five therapists. He said, you're the first person who's asked me about it. None of them were comfortable enough. That's what the boy said. None of them were comfortable enough to ask me about what happened.
0: Or, Alan, what could happen is, and I actually you know, provide this in my book, is a number of screening questions that one could ask. And some of the questions an individual may not feel comfortable with because then there's a series after the fact and it could go down many ways. And if they don't have the skill set to know how to, to deal handle those responses, exactly.
2: That's the other part of it. it. That goes back to the ignorance and not knowing that, you know, Tom so compassionately
1: called the idiot factor. <laughs> I, I need. I need. I need to own this though. Now, keep in mind when I got when I got sober because my because well, let's face it because my wife made me. Uh, uh, and, and you know, I was I was the clinical I was the clinical director of an alcohol and drug treatment center at the time. So so it's it's uh, you know I do include myself in in the in the band of idiots. Hey, that's a new new name for a group. The band of idiots. <laughs> Well, let's get started. We'll get Rob. We'll get, we'll get Robin's uh, guitar well, playing he, husband. He, he's Crazy. always
0: wanted to start a band called Midlife Crisis.
1: Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a great news. Al, Alan and oh. I can't be in it. It's, we're way past.
2: <laughs> We've lost the qualifications. So Another qualification we lost. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Do, do you know who Judy Hollis is, Robin, by any chance? She wrote Judy, Fat, Judy Hollis. Hollis.
0: Why do I know the name? I'm not sure. She wrote.
2: She wrote. Fat is a family affair. I know
0: the other
2: She, she, she uh, started many eating disorder units. Um, she had um, one of the first at San Pedro Peninsula Hospital. Her first groups were why Wait, weight W E I G H T. Right. And and then after that she started an eating disorder unit. I have known Judy for many years and and. Um, you know it was her calling she was struggling with her own issues and I worked with yeah. her over there for a long time but it was it was some amazing work those four years I was at the eating disorders unit and being a wow. clinical director over there really was powerful work I mean incredible it's a family illness it really is
0: it, exactly it's the good. family is a part right. of the treatment team as well
2: mm-hmm. and has to be and most people won't include the family. Yes. They just focus on trying to control the patient. And it, it is uh, that's part of the, the ignorance out there as well. So you work with a team then is what you do when you're I'm working with someone? I'm a part of so
0: many teams. Yes. I mean, it's ideal when you're able to pick the team for the client. So either they have an internist right. or a pediatrician ideally an eating disorder trained therapist or another mental health provider. I mean, there's teams I'm on that I am, I would say the lone wolf who has the medical background. I'm teaching the clinician, the therapist, and the Mm -hmm. physician what labs to have done and then and or a psychiatrist. So yes, I'm a part of many teams and, and really in the eating disorder community, I mean, we know who those experts are. So I think when people will say, oh, I'm an eating disorder expert, Well, how are you on, oh, I took one online course or back when there were um, these lunchtime talks at-
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, but when the
0: EDTC, the Minnesota Center of California, before Carolyn Costin sold, you know, she would have these like Mm -hmm. lunchtime talks and someone's Mm -hmm. saying like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. I've gone to one of Carolyn Costin's lunchtime sessions. It's like, that doesn't make you an expert. So
1: yeah, you can't do brain surgery that way, can you? It's, it's, that would be you, scary. You, you have, uh, yeah. You, I mean, team stuff is all through your book, but but it's like the the I was uh, when I was glancing through it just before we started, I was looking um, at the the chapter thirteen the, the, at the very end of your book. It's called "Divide, Divide and Conquer." Meet your team, and I love what you have to say about how how important it is that how the team has to work together, stay in their own lane. Uh, respect each other there's i mean there's so many different points you make in here in just a short amount of time that's it's and that's been my experience as well it's like because uh, you know I, one of the things i've known myself working with with folks with with eating issues is, uh, is I definitely play a particular position and, and there, and, and without the other positions, it's, it would be sort of like a, a running back going out on the playing field without, you know, a quarterback or somebody to hand them the football. It's like, it's like, it really is a team team effort.
0: Yeah. But sometimes a dietitian, like I will tell clients, I will not see you unless you are in therapy. I mean, that's necessary. Mm-hmm. And I have some clients that can't afford it. And there's several internists I work with where it's like the physician and myself, it's like, we are the therapists, but that's not mm-hmm. the ideal situation. Or I've had colleagues say to me, they don't want to see a dietitian or they can't afford a dietitian, So it's like the therapist will take on that role too. But I think the individual right. has to have that. Training and and I think it gets to a point where it's like you can't fake it anymore. There's no substitution for having those different ancillary professions.
1: Well, it's, hum, it's, hum, what I find is it's humility. It's like you, you have to, you have to own, you have to own what you don't know. It's like, you know, one of the things that I've told people forever, of this stuff is like, like, you know, about needing to have a nutritionist on the team is, is like, like, I, I'm really good at helping to coach and, and support you and help you motivate to do to to do what you need to do that you're in what the nutritionist is talking to you about but it's like you know you don't you don't want it in nutrition information for me it's like I, you know I, I rem, you know I remember when I was first early on when I was doing workshops with uh, Jenny Schaefer and Julie Merriman after Jenny's book came out is it's, it's uh, the, the, the two of them referred to me as the eating disorder expert who knew who knows nothing about eating disorders <laughs> because you know because hopefully I know a, a little bit more now but it's but it's like but still I mean it's like no I need I need somebody who knows knows the science you know and that's what that's when I when I look at a nutritionist one of the things I see is just I just and I, I, and this is all through your book too I see just a, a a very very good scientist you know because people these there it's so i tell tell these my clients it's like this person's they're not they're not going to be talking to you about the things you think they're going to be talking to you about they're going to be for one thing they're going to talk to you about their your brain you know and how and how all this all this affects your brain and it's, it's uh you know, you do need the right team, that's for sure. Well, and and, a- and absolutely, you have, to, you have to make do when you don't. I, I'm with you on that one as well. Yes,
0: and what I want to say from the science perspective, I mean, I have colleagues that are registered dietitians that never worked in a medical center. So I have so much appreciation and gratitude mm-hmm. for the five years I worked in a medical center because mm-hmm. that I think has enhanced my skill set. But also, I mean, I had been trained by, I mean, one of the top adolescent or doctors in, in the country, um, Ed Tyson, mm-hmm. who's, who's in Austin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would mm-hmm. go and yeah, know be, able, you know, be, be able to have the, you know, supervision and be able to sit with him and the patients. And it's mm-hmm. like, we don't get that in school. Mm-hmm. So I think it mm-hmm. took me to a new level in my ability and, and what I was able to do with clients. And when I would see people in person, you know, prior... To the pandemic, I mean, I would take their vital signs. I would do everything but check their heart rate because the individual is oftentimes seeing the registered dietitian more often than they are seeing their physician. So to be able to have that data, their blood pressure, their pulse, their capillary refill time, feeling their hands, feeling their shins. I mean, all these different screening questions that I've included in in the book.
1: Mm -hmm. I told you how smart she is. Yeah, I was going to
2: ask you one question is that, what role do you see that? Oh, thank you. Talk about nutrition. I just got my bowl of grains. Say and, thank man. you. Oh, no, you did say thank, thank you. Okay, you. I was yes. going to correct you. You um, did, you did. So so look, uh, what I was going to ask, so is, what role do you see like the 12-step the groups playing in your work with people?
0: I think the 12-step groups are, are great from a place of support, but I think so often because there's so many different subsidiaries of 12 step, you know, many are rule-based. And I yeah. think when there's rules like abstain from this, don't eat this. And then when we're told we can't have something, what happens? We think about even more so food wise and that could lead to a binge. So especially for the chronic dieter, or the, the person who's going the OA route and they have found like, if you have relationships, I think that's a great, tool to take advantage of but I think from like the food recommendations it's you know their lived experience that they're giving these recommendations versus like what may work for one person may not work for someone else
2: and there have been um fractions of those groups like food anonymous Mm -hmm. I mean they've taken the rigidity of OA and they've amplified it yeah I mean, is it FA or something like that or whatever, or whatever those yeah. groups are. I mean, I've worked with some people in the level of rigidity in their life is just incredible to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's about having freedom and flexibility with food as opposed to being afraid of any food or food group. And you might say, you know, Robin, I don't eat such and such because it makes me feel really sick. Well, you have to put your hand in that pot of boiling water enough to get burned and say, you know what, I've gotten sick enough. There's got to be a better and different way in how to approach this.
2: Yeah, there you as go. Well, well, that's I believe in that so much, Robin, is that really recovery is a discovery of new possibilities and really being able to have different experiences with stuff that you would be off limits to you that you thought no that that's Mm -hmm. not a possibility for me and and to try it on and see if it fits and see if it can be a value i mean that attitude that experimental attitude seems so critical to
0: being a scientist
2: yeah, there you go. That's right. Being your own scientist is right. It?
1: That's right. Yeah, I call it. I call it. We're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to investigate this together. And what what all what, what you guys are both talking about the, the common ground there is something that you, Alan, you and I talk about all the time. And it's you know it, it, nothing nothing you know original here, but it's 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 about empowering the the client. It's about it's about you know letting the client you know give, giving the client this amazing news that by the way oh did you know that you get to choose. You know what you do because what so often what we're looking for when we're in pain and we're hurting and we're all of a sudden is somebody just to tell us what to do and then too often we find professionals who are really really ready to do that yeah. or groups like you're talking about that just will say okay well here's what you do but that you know it's about it's about respect it's about well, we're gonna figure also, this out together
0: like what you're saying Tom it's about learning how do you check in with yourself
1: mm-hmm. because
0: our emotional status. Has such an impact on what we choose to eat, as well as the amount. And and I think being able to even think about, like I'll have clients, I'll say, "Well, what do you like to eat?" No one's ever asked me that because diets, the the you know <laughs> what's called the weight normative approach will say it's 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 harder the way I'm working with someone because I'm wanting them to dig down deep and evaluate. What am I in the mood for? What do I like versus, well, I have to avoid this. I can't mix this with that. I can only eat between these hours. And eating is way less complex than how diet culture teaches us should be. So exactly with what your point mm-hmm,
1: is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, well, I mean, indefinitely, with, we, we as human beings, we make, uh, we're very good at making things that, that can be simpler, uh, highly complex, you know, and uh, so, so I think, yeah, I think that's... But, but, yeah, the the, yeah. the the other thing is we we want to you know I, I think probably one of the things that the three of us have in common is that we we actually kind of enjoy thinking outside the box and 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 then one of the things that we too often in this business just give lip service to is you know individualized care. It's like you know ever since I used to work for marketing alcohol and drug treatment when I worked for uh, CompCare, <laughs> uh, Comprehensive Care Corporation back in the the 1900s, is that that you know they it was always. Uh, it was always about, about individualized care. Tell them about the individualized care. It's like, but I never saw it. I just, I just told people about it when I was trying to sell the damn program, trying to get people in the beds. It's like, but you know, what, what we know is what really works is to sit down with somebody and, and, and it's like, this is about you. It's You know, I know a lot, we know a lot of shit that, that we get from, we've gotten from our experience from other people. But if we make the, the moment, you know, Carl Jung talked about this, the moment you make an assumption, you know, he said he tried he tried to forget everything he knew before he walked in with a, with a new patient. And that's what, you know, we can never do that entirely, but it's, that's a pretty good idea.
0: Well, and like what you're saying too, Tom, I mean, I think oftentimes our clients want and appreciate that hands-on approach. So where it's like the way, you know, Alan's with his lunch, like I would have experiential eating sessions with my client in the office, out of the office. I mean, since COVID, I've had to be pretty creative, like get your snack, let's have a snack together. And, and, and Mm -hmm. where it's not, you know, just talking where it's like, Oh, I'm Mm -hmm. with someone Mm -hmm. that I feel safe with and that I'm eating and I'm being challenged. So I've had to, take it up to a whole new level through Zoom over these last 10 months. Exactly to your point, because it's nice to have that practical hands-on, but also the exposure therapy, because that is so necessary Mm -hmm. in being able to take something off a pedestal that's been seen as forbidden and taboo. And okay, the cupcake's really scary, but once you start eating the cupcake, it'll feel like your kale salad.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds horrible! I don't want my cupcake to feel like that.
0: But no, where you no, no,
1: sad? I want, I, I I'm on, I'm on Robin to take me through an
2: experience with this bowl of wonderful food. I'm But well,
0: like you would, whatever you are is like you might say. I've had eggs thousands of times, but no, I can't have cupcakes. And how come? And being able to break down each layer of what Mm -hmm. the meaning of that cupcake is. And who said you couldn't have it? And what happens if you eat it? And what are your greatest fears? When you have it? Oh, I'm going to be out of control and I'm going to be fat and I won't be able to Mm -hmm. stop. And then I'm going to want more sugar. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this like monster and kind of like, as you said to me, before tom like all those shoulds the should monster mm-hmm, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Th- their brain has been hijacked by all those shoulds yeah
2: we'll talk and one about of the sugar things for a minute though i want to hear about that does sugar i knew
0: it's gonna bring
2: it up no i'm no because that's such a good topic right because because the idea out there is what was that book sugar blues there's
0: that, so many there's no, so no.
2: many that were addicted to sugar that sugar is very dangerous you got to watch it get rid of it tell me what Talk about that with us.
0: So I'm going to tell you cause that's a whole other episode, but basically when a client will say, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. And I'll say, well, does that mean if you had a jar of sugar that you wouldn't be able to stop? No, no, no. If I was eating a cookie or a cupcake or ice cream or chocolate, and, and oftentimes when we have a craving, it's due to what we're lacking in our diet. Maybe we don't have enough carbohydrates in our diet. Maybe there's not enough fat in our diet. And look, there's people that are always going to have that sweet tooth. And there's people that are always going to have that, you know, salty, savory Mm -hmm. attraction. But those cravings (laughs) intensify when a, we aren't getting enough of what we need. And when we've told ourselves we can't have this. So I would say a very high percentage of my clients Say, oh no, it's not the jar of sugar. Well, you can't be addicted to something you need to survive. And it's important to have some sort of fun food daily in our diet, or we'll feel like we're on a diet. So, not every meal is going to be salmon and broccoli and brown rice. It's nice to be able to have some pecan pie. It's nice to be Mm -hmm. able to have a, you know, peppermint bark. It's not like, okay, yeah, I'll have the apple instead. Maybe you want the apple, but especially Mm -hmm. holidays and different seasonal foods, sometimes those cravings increase or it's something we look forward to. So I can tell you there's, there's a lot of, um, misinformation stating the the whole piece about sugar addiction and eating sugar. It's, it's you know like this drug or that drug, but it's, it's very controversial in the eating disorder community. Well, but
1: but the thing you're talking about though is the thing that this I first ran into this with Nan Allison and Carol back here in 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 Nashville years ago. Who, who dealt with this in, a, in, in such a smarter way. And, and that's, that, and it was, it was what I said before, it was about, it was about brain chemistry. And it was about, it was about anyway, what you just said is, is because just, just to, I see people very often. It's almost like politics. Everybody just takes a position, you know, it's like, you know, are you, you know, are you, are you, are you for addiction to pie or not? It's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's, now it's, it's, more, it's more complicated. This is one of the things where we don't, we, you know, sometimes we take, we take uh, uh, simple things and make them, make them too complicated. This is something that we, that we, that we need to understand is complicated. So the idea when you, if i if I have a problem with that and I'm working with you, then not only am I going to, be able to try some different things that you're going to guide me through, but you're also going to educate me as, as a client. It's like, you're going to teach me that if you were doing this and that, cause I remember just, I remember just bootlegging enough stuff from nutritionists I've worked with for the longest time. I mean, I mean, first experience I ever had with that was, was, uh, you know, I just mentioned to uh, to a uh, nutritionist, I was doing some co-therapy with at one point, you know, that I get, get the slump and sleepy in the middle of the morning. And no matter what I ate and she talked to me about, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty common knowledge, I think, but it wasn't for me. She talked to me about when I ate carbohydrates, all this stuff, she put some, you know, she put some said, well, try this pork chop, you know, put this, you know, and, and, you know, get some protein earlier in the day. And, and sure enough, it's like all of a sudden my energy was different. Something as simple as quit drinking so damn much coffee, Tom. And if you want to stay awake, drink water.
0: Well, I think it's really understanding the brain chemistry and the neurotransmitter pathways that are, occurring
1: mm-hmm. as
0: well. And, and the other part I want to say is when we're told that we can't eat something, like if someone were to say, Tom, you know, you can never have a marshmallow mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. I, say, I haven't thought of marshmallows in years, but mm-hmm. when that's been presented, what happens? We think about it, we become more fixated on it and we feel like compelled then well, I have to, yeah. X, I got to well,
1: grab that. Machine. Well, what I, what I tell people is is here's the only, here's 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 the extent of my neurological knowledge. The brain doesn't encode a negative. So if I say, don't imagine Alan wearing a pink dress, it's like, well, there's no cognitive process that goes into that process. I mean, we, we you just see it. Don't think of the color blue. Don't think of your left hand. And it's like, and it's amazing how much we do communicate that way. You know, don't do this. It's like not to get too far from the mental health, uh, aspect, but,
2: uh, how much does marketing have to do with, I mean, how aggressively that sugar is being sold to Americans, let's just say, I mean, is that, is that a factor that's
0: like worth discussing? I mean, I think Patrick, there's so much centered around diet culture. culture, I mean, look, it's all about a business. It's, I mean, you know, I, I can tell you, I was watching a commercial the other night, and I was a college tennis player, and I competed in triathlon for six years. And there's this new KIND bar, KIND energy bar, and my rep had sent me samples of it before, you know, right when COVID hit. I was like, "Oh, this is great! This one has you know more protein and more fiber. I really like it." And so the commercial was basically ripping on Cliff bars. They were comparing like, "Oh, this this is it has you know way less sugar. It has more protein." And, more. and I thought, well, you know, when I did triathlons. Cliff bars were my bar. When I go on long rides, it's like each bar serves a purpose. I thought, see, yes. Yeah. So they're using the sugar card of what you know, you're know you speaking of. Yeah. So it's sort of like, yeah, people are going to think because they're not informed. They may not know how to read labels or read them correctly. So it's like, oh, well, this is better. Okay. I'm not going to buy my cliff bar. And I thought, yeah, my pantry, I've got some cliff bars and I've got some of these, I've got both because they serve different purposes for what I'm doing, but I have a different, you know, <laughs> knowledge set than the average person, and the average person would yeah. not know that. So that is a, you know, true point, Patrick, that there's so much about diet culture and put out there, whether it's through the holidays or after the holidays. That ca- it's it's really, I think, the capitalism, unfortunately, because yeah. each company has a shrewd marketing team that makes people feel guilt and shame when they are eating sugar or they start to count their sugar and these types of things
2: yeah very very good point you you know and I just want to circle back to what you said is that what you what I what I believe in is what you were talking about Robin is this organismic wisdom is your body it's like we don't listen to ourselves we really don't Uh, I love that saying by Gurdjieff he says we're we're all dreaming we're awake and we're asleep (laughs) and and it's such a powerful thing because we're so desensitized in terms of paying attention to ourselves it goes back to some of what you're talking about with the shoulds we get all these ideas about what we should be doing how we should be feeling what how we should look and all these other things and we get totally disconnected from our
0: experience
2: completely disconnected
0: well and not only that i mean when you think about even just like elementary days of our lives, when we're babies, when we're kids, when a baby is progressed to solids, they recommend, who's they? The pediatricians, it is recommended that a vegetable is introduced before mm-hmm. a fruit. How come? Because sugar is something that like, we all like sweetness. So I will never forget sitting with my client and her daughter was maybe like five before the pandemic. And she had the snacks for the daughter and she'd had in a bag, some cookies. She had uh, some pieces of broccoli and she had some um, slices of apple and Oh, you know, I'm hungry. And the mom took out, she's well, what do you, what do you want? she showed all three bags and the little girl picked the broccoli and the cookie. And she was sitting, snacking on bubbles, like, okay, I'm done. And my cousins, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I would like to be that way. Because to her, Perfect. the broccoli and the cookie were the same thing versus us being told, no, you can't eat that. You gotta eat your meal before you can have the pork chops. wonderful,
2: you. yeah. What a great example though, huh? The broccoli and the cookie at this, I love it. I mean- and we all a-
0: start out <laughs> innocently <laughs> like that until yeah. we become disconnected of listening to our body or the messages we pick up in diet culture or the medical community or our families that influence the choices, but definitely.
2: Can you tell me the arc of treatment you see with someone that's really got such a, you know, a body dysmorphia or a body image distortion, right? Where they can't see themselves, they see themselves as fat. And what, what do you see typically happens in the course of treatment with someone like that?
0: When I'm seeing someone that struggles with body dysmorphia, I think, you know, I, you know, ideally it would be wonderful if they are in therapy, but being able to talk about what they like about themselves, which is hard for many, many people as opposed to what they dislike, you know, many people are able to comment what they dislike. But there's ebbs and flows because with any treatment, Alan, it's, you know, tr- treatment's not linear. It's up and down and some meals and some days are more successful than others. And there's times that they'll feel like, oh, I had a great therapy session with Alan or Tom. And it's like, oh gosh, I'm just hating yeah. this. And so it's, it's common to, have times that. You so the expectation
2: playing. is it's going to look like this treatment? Yes. It's not always going to be. Never. You know, it's this positive progression to Never. hell. It's up and down. You'll take, gonna, I call yeah.
0: it the waltz. You're taking several steps forward and several steps backward.
2: I like the waltz part. Yeah. Tell me about your tennis. I'm a tennis player too.
0: Oh, cool. We'll have to hit. Oh, I, I play, okay. I was on a tennis scholarship. I played one year at Sonoma State and one year at Cal State Northridge. Oh, Sorry, chemistry and biology, biology courses took over my life. But um, yeah, tennis was actually-
2: Tom just, Tom just sent me a text message that said she's going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, actually, actually, so that was my ticket into many colleges that I did not have the grades for. And in fact, it's how oh, I yeah. built my business, my tennis. I had a lot of regular games with physicians at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, and I've restarted. Yeah, so that's my thing. Do you play regularly?
2: I, I you know, I about um, God, it's got to be fifteen years ago. I went ahead and got certified as a as a pro.
0: Well, my husband's so. a coach. For yes. 35 years, he used to travel with Pete Sampras and Lindsay Davenport when they were local juniors. Oh,
2: my fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I, I I, got into teaching tennis because my son was way into it. And so I was very interested in the psychology. So I come from the sports psychology side of it, right? So I do a lot of sports psychology. And oh, stuff. yeah, I'm
0: going to show you. Did you know this book? I remember. Hold on. You're, we're going back in time.
2: I, I imagine it's going to be... Is it the inner game of tennis or yeah of <laughs> <hear> course
0: <laughs> First. it's gotta
2: be right I my mean.
0: god alan. wow it's so vintage it's yellow oh,
2: it, and it was brilliant it was and back then, and then what's the next one alan fox's book or
0: yes look <laughs> i used to go to his tennis camp at pepperine what's my third one here you'll like this
2: oh Carla! Oh, yes yes i've seen that that's a good book too oh yes. my
0: gosh alan we're meant to be <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is hilarious so my son played division one ball up at uh, cal poly san luis obispo
0: okay so i played division so two on. the first year in division one the second but second so uh, my I've husband with was ben. mary carilla's um, tubbles partner on the tour for oh
2: fantastic i love mary she has developed it become such a great commentator Yes. Uh, see, he was, huh? So oh, so so he's a player too, huh?
0: Yeah, he, so so get, he he's he's from Queens, New York, and he um grew up with Vetus and Mac. And we oh used to go God. to the Isn't open.
2: Vetus Gary Light's I loved his game. What a I mean, my God, that's oh wow, what a what a rich history you have in your family.
0: Yeah, so the the whole tennis. Uh, Do
2: you hit with him still? Do you go out with him? I don't husband? hit with
0: him. I actually last weekend went and rented the ball machine. In fact, I remember. So unfortunately, I took quite some time off from playing tennis. My It's coming on January 15th. It'll be 12 years. My father, I don't, Tom doesn't know this about me, unexpectedly passed away. He was 68. He passed away on center court at the country club I grew up playing with the tennis pro. Oh. So obviously I was so traumatized. My dad was my best friend. I got into my profession because of my dad. Thank you. And my family history of heart disease and hypercholesterolemia. And so it's now taken me like time to like get into it. And singles has always been my thing, not doubles, but now that I'm older and I'm always asked like, Oh, play doubles. And so I have found it's just great to be outside and it took me a long time to be able to go outside and just have fun versus being so competitive. Cause I was competitive okay. for so long that I never knew how to like go on a vacation. We couldn't go on a vacation unless there was tennis. since that was my right. thing. Yeah. So,
2: okay. Yes. All right. We're going to go out and have fun. You and I, yes, I would love, it. love to Good, We're going to go hit together. We'll do it sometime. I'd that that would
0: be it. amazing.
2: We'll get vaccinated or whatever has to happen and then we'll do it.
0: That's good. Tom faded.
2: Tom is, yeah, he said he's having some difficulty. So I'll just go ahead and keep us going here. Well, look, it's so exciting to have you here. I mean, it's been a great time. We're going to have you back.
0: Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be
2: here. I've really enjoyed it. it It's fun to find these connections in life, isn't it? I just love how that happens and that, that, you know, we realize that we have that interest together. Yes. Tom
0: did a mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> he did a mitzvah he did you're right he did right. a mitzvah
0: yes my mother Listen, would say Ezra, tom, Ezra. my mother would say tom is such a mensch
2: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so look is there any one thing you want to say to wrap this show up from your side robin a message to somebody out there that's struggling with with their eating and, you know, what would you like to tell them, especially during this time of year? What,
0: what I would like to tell your listeners is that it's never too late to get help. It doesn't matter how old you are, how many years you've been engaged in your eating disorder. And also for those that are on social media to be able to follow me, I put every day a message or two something non-diet and body positive positive. My um, Instagram handle is Robin with a Y Goldberg RDN. And I can be contacted as well. I'm on, I don't remember my Twitter. I'll have to set up. But in any case- We'll get
2: that. Patrick will put it in the okay, show notes.
0: Awesome. And my, so my website is askaboutfood.com and my book website is theeatingdisordertrap.com And currently my podcast every week, I have someone on who is, in the eating disorder arena or not, it's all kind of you know tied back to the eating disorder. But my podcast is the eating disorder trap podcast, it's on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you would download a podcast. And I'm waiting to get the word any day. My book will be on audibles, and oh, I am nice. the narrator for it. But has learned it's a oh,
2: ago. you did that good. They I did. I had
0: a number of requests for the book to be audio, and actually found it would just be ideal if I was the narrator versus someone that's not trained in it. It would have been, yeah, cool. They have a professional person, but I found there's no one that's me, you know, it's best there's to no have me.
2: To no, you are, you are the only you Robin. Thank God, you Definitely. know that. Robin. Yes. Thank
0: <laughs> you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good.
2: Well, listen, it was a pleasure. We will have you back uh, on the show. Um, Tom, Thank how do people you. learn about you and your work?
1: Can you see me?
2: Yeah, I've see been you. on the sidelines for most of this. <laughs> okay. Well, we're wrapping up the show <laughs> now, so we're going to have Robin back.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about okay. Hayes and what you had said, Tom.
1: We <laughs> <laughs> talked to
2: a lot. Don't listen to the show. You'll get married, Robin. <laughs> and I, I, I was just like
1: texting like Patrick, telling him I couldn't <laughs> tell what was going on. <laughs> Robin, thank so you. You
2: want to tell everybody how to they-
1: go to my website and buy all my books, please. Yes. Glad you joined us today. Like I said, we will have you
2: back.
0: Thank you. Um, I'd love to.
2: You can learn more about my work at www.abphd.com. You know, tune in to us, join us on the Thursday night meeting. We have an emotional sobriety meeting on Thursday night. That's just a great meeting. Robin, you're always welcome to come in and join that meeting whenever you want. It's really turned into a great, great support group for people during COVID. And we'll see everybody next time. Thank you again, Robin.
0: Thank you. It's a spiral, not a circle it Goes round, round,
1: round Look for solutions Be your own friend Never see never In either direction Look in the mirror Trust the reflection Where it starts